Oh, goodness. Uh, I lost my uh, panel invitation. I was in on right long before the call, but nobody else was there. And I waited and waited. And so I thought, well, I'll try this again. My panelist invitation had totally disappeared. So um, I was patiently sitting there with my hand raised and heard most of the questions. Um, we're going to now move on and to the second part, right, Paul? We're ready to go with our one book, one ACB, or is it one ACB, one book? It's something I, like that. I, I think it's I think it's the one book first. The one book, one ACB. Our book, and uh, Cindy, you're, I'm going to be interested to see what our numbers look like as we get into this discussion. Sure. I do have a quick question to ask you. Um, mm-hmm. Sure. Are you going to be doing questions right at the start, or are you going to be sharing first? Pro- probably no more than five to ten minutes of sharing. I'm guessing. Okay, and I have. To- I'm going to. I'm going to be stepping away for just a couple minutes to run my dog out. It won't That's be long fine, Cindy. I'm okay. Let sorry, us know when just- you're back. Okay, You're not no allowed. <laughs> well, she's so crossing all four of the paws, so, you know. <laughs> hey, Thank yeah. you. Thanks. See you when you get back. <laughs> Excuse me. Go ahead, Miss Judy. And I, Paul and I, well, thank you so much, Paul. I knew, despite the fact that I was crying and my poor husband was trying to comfort me, I knew the session was in wonderful hands. So part of my mind was not worried at all. And you did a stellar job. I really appreciate thank you. it. The book we're reading is called Flying Blind, One Man's Journey Out of Darkness. There's a mysterious... Go ahead, Paul. There is a mysterious thing, Judy, that I discovered after we talked about all this stuff. Um, Ready for my mystery? Yes. So, if you put in brigante into your search you get about 13 books that come up and you think oh my goodness this is a prolific author and if you put lou brigante into your search you get about 13 results and you think my god this is amazing and then you discover that whether by coincidence or for real 12 of those 13 books are books narrated by lou brigante my gosh, I've never heard of that narrator. And he's very good. I read a couple of his books. He is just excellent. <laughs> Talk about uh, stumbling over something by accident, as we often do. Um, when I'm often per, you know, scrolling through, I'll find a book that's on a similar subject, or, or I'm looking for an author, and yes, you're right, I find another author. I think, well, that book sounds interesting. Anyway, and, and I don't know if book, it's accidental or not, actually. I mean, it may be that here is a guy who is a, a talking book narrator um, exactly. who ended up deciding to write a book about a blind guy who he met. Who knows? And, of course, the, the book is about a man named Joe Crury, and unfortunately I've never been able to find a place to get the spelling of that name. I'm thinking it's something almost, like K-O-U-R-I-E. Well, you know, it could be something like that, and it could be something like something else. Because but he said he, was, I, said he was Syrian. And and that's the way they spell yes, it in Syria. Okay, he, he is Syrian. And, and I meant to copy the lovely poem that's the last thing in the book. Uh, uh, we'll talk about that when, when it comes to it. Paul and I were um, tasked by the Lua board to pick the book. And Paul, I had a couple of what I thought were great books. And Paul said, well, what about, what about this one? And Ralph Smitherman and I read it and maybe a couple of other board members and we thought it was definitely uh, a very interesting take on the memoir. And I have questions later if we have time about what you think about uh, blind people memoirs and how they're alike and how they're different. But the reason that Paul suggested this one, because it it has a very, by the way, I'll just uh, remind people that it is read by Bill Wallace and to help, it's it's six hours long, and uh, I'll, it, there may be people here who are interested in the book but haven't read it. Yeah, it's um, not a long book. It's 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 no, a, it's it's a pretty easy read. six hours five minutes, and it's read by Bill Wallace, and he does a good job. For the record, I'll state that the DB number is nine seven four two five. And um, one so, of the mechanisms. Go ahead, go ahead, Paul. I'll let you go ahead. So. So, so one of the things that made us choose this book is, is because 
I think for all of us who read the book, we, we regarded it as, as a very odd way to write a book. And it was, it was the first book on a blindness theme that we had ever seen that was written this way. And, and it was such a kind of a reverse twist, um, that I, that I think all of us thought, well, it will be interesting to see, uh, what those folks who have read the book actually think about, uh, the way this book was written. So, and, and I don't think this is, this is providing spoilers for folks who are going to go out and read the book, but the book is essentially, uh, narrated by a young sighted man. And this young sighted man has, uh, gotten somewhere through college. In fact, he may even be finished college and he's just kind of bumming around and not doing very much and feeling, um, pretty incompetent and pretty useless and, and pretty unmotivated. And so, um, his parents suggest that he goes to see this Joe Curry and essentially the whole book is about Joe Corey using his life story as a blind person to provide counseling for a sighted person. And it is so unusual to think of a blind person counseling sighted people that we thought it was a really interesting approach um, to the book. And back to you, Miss Judy. When Cindy gets back, I am we'll, back. We'll, we'll ask. And I am back. Oh, good, Cindy. We, we, with the question kind of on the floor is, what did you think of this notion of this of the sighted person being um, presented as a role model by this blind person? So well, the blind person being considered a that, role model for the sighted person. Yes. Yes. I, I, I always think that's a great I am concept, and um, and why not? Is what I'll well, say. Well, yeah. I, well, exactly, and that's why we chose the book. But but the execution was interesting, so we'll, we'll be talking yes, about that. Yes, I have my thoughts on that. But as a good English teacher, I'll wait till the till our participants have spoken. Before sure, we I... do have some raised hands. I'll so just say that, mm-hmm. Yep. I'll just say that as a blind mom, I know I'm a role model for my sighted daughters. For heaven's sake! So, all right, I hope, absolutely. I hope I was. I hope I was for my three as exactly. well. Exactly. So, Dawn, you should be able to unmute. Do you have? Uh, Yep, there I am. Don Horn again? No, Don Wood. Yeah, Don Wood. It it took a while to to come up for me to be there. You are. Yeah. Oh, it's Don, like the morning. Uh huh. Yes. Okay. Wondering. uh, I I know you gave the the numbers for the book, but I was wondering what platform it was on because I wasn't running into it under Bard or Bookshare. Where where did you read it? It is on Bard. Bard. We never choose a book that isn't on Bard. I don't know why I'm not seeing it. Huh. Um, well, so the author's name is B R I G A N T E. That's the way this the last name is spelled. Um, Dawn, um, okay. and the name is of the book T-E or is T I. I is think it, I thought it was T E. Uh, I may be wrong. Uh, um, I think it's T I. Well, yeah, because I was looking and I didn't see. It's it. one or the other. Then it may anyway, be T I, and I'm messing ah, you up, yeah. Dawn. But <clears throat> anyhow, flying blind should bring it up. And Excellent. flying blind should bring it up. Okay. Yeah, I flying think blind, blind is okay. Okay. And okay. the next person we have is last four digits of zero nine seven three. And uh, you we know should that be phone unmuted. Number. Oh, this is another Ralph. person who's read the book. Ralph. Yes. Middleman. Right. Can hear we can. We can. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. we can. Yes, I read the book. I thought it was uh, a little odd the way that the book was written in reference to the young man going to the blind man, going to Joe, and basically hearing Joe's story. Joe's an old man now, and he basically tells his story over several visits from this young fellow who is you know, trying to find his way in the world, um, which is a good concept. I get that. My, uh, you know, the uh, Joe, uh, I'm not sure where he put his Superman cape, because if all things are true that were written about him in this book, uh, kudos and pizzazz to Joe. I thought it was, um, thought it was interesting, uh, especially one part that stuck with me was when he had to have surgery on his eyes because they were basically closed shut because of his welding practice 
So I thought that was a little odd. But anyway, <clears throat> the book was, uh, it was different. And um, I encourage people to read it because uh, I, I did like the perspective. And Bill Wallace was a terrific narrator. So that's yeah, very, my comment on the book. Mm-hmm. Very early in the book. Little, were Go you ahead, a little Judy. puzzled by the fact, I'm sorry, Paul, were you a little puzzled by the fact that, you know, having been blind for like two weeks, he sets across hitchhiking across America and magically <laughs> within moments practically knows how to navigate along the shoulder, not a cane user, of course, wouldn't do that navigates along the shoulder of the road, knows his feet, know the difference between this and that. He stays out of traffic. Um, yes, exactly. Where is his super tape? Well, one of the more interesting oh. things is there is no mention of rehabilitation in this book. Except when he went to college or something and uh, didn't want them or didn't, didn't, didn't have any yeah. use for them. I think he mentioned right. that he didn't have any use for rehab. I, I missed that. Cindy. Chris. I want some more people who've read this book. Maybe I bet maybe Chris has. Well, we'll I hope she we'll has. See. I don't believe the guy exists. <laughs> <laughs> A figment um, of is, the book. <laughs> it's K O U R Y when you look at the book. Is it? Thank you. Yeah. And it's B R I G A N T I. That's that's why this poor lady couldn't find it. Right. Um, I mean, I, I find it a truly fascinating um concept but it is it is a uh, superman kind of thing and it, it it will do play well as a a, uh, a comic book or something yeah so 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 chris did did you explore the annals of pennsylvania because this is chris hunsinger who's president of the acb of pennsylvania did you did you scour the annals of pennsylvania to find joe Curry? Well, I did Google him and couldn't find anybody like a Joe. <laughs> I found some other Corys, but not Joe. It's interesting. What did you think? What did you think of the of of the concept of uh, of of a blind guy counseling a sighted guy? Well, it, it's a good idea. I mean, it it would certainly and it would certainly make a young man who thinks he's worthless think. I mean, I think it's a really inter- that part is an interesting. Um, concept. It's just too bad that the guy laid on the amazing blind guy. I mean, I want to know why he bought a Cadillac Fleetwood and then he had to keep the windows down so he could drive it and hear the curb. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's right. He drove in Southern California and he did it for years within the five mile radius of where his auto shop was. Now, I would not want that man on any road I was on, for sure. Yeah, it would be pretty scary. Uh, so, so Chris, we can't find any evidence of Joe Curry so far. I haven't, but I, I didn't ask somebody from Allentown yet, so I'll ask Tony Swartz that question. Well, yeah, Tony I has his hand raised, by the way. Oh, good. Maybe so, Tony knows him. Well, maybe. Let's um, find so out. That's not, yeah. We will. Tony, you can unmute. This is suspenseful now. We're getting close to the start of the story here. Okay. There you are. Yeah, this is Tony Swartz, and I am from Allentown, Pennsylvania. Uh, Not only do I know Joe, but Joe is a very distant relative. He is now living in Virginia, which is, and and he's been out of Pennsylvania, I think, 15, 16 years now. Joe and I have had a lot of conversations over the years, and I could never understand the things that Joe did. I consider myself a pretty independent blind person, independent traveler, and so forth. But Joe was amazing in what he could do. And as far as driving, yes, he he could. I never drove with Joe. My brother did. My brother. <laughs> this is fascinating. It is my, great. My my brother did. He has or had an extraordinary hearing ability, but also the ability to... It had an echolocation like I've never seen it in any other human being. And he, whatever happened to him when he lost his vision, and, and I must say that there, there's, there were quite a few inaccuracies in, in the book, and Joe did try and correct them. But he was able to do all those things. I could never understand it because 
although later in life, Joe did talk to me about echolocation, I could never do the things that he did. And it is true that when he lost his sight, he, he felt that he wanted to leave the area and he got it into his head to travel out to the West Coast. Uh, there were some relatives out there and so forth. But he actually wanted to get away from his family because they wanted to take care of him. And he went into some kind of strange emotional upheaval. Yep. And he would rather have wanted to die. And he did all kinds of crazy things. This, this walking along the road. No, he didn't. He didn't know how to do this. He kind of learned as he, he went on, and he knew that he had to walk on the side of the road. But he started developing or learning these techniques as he traveled. And there were some pretty harrowing episodes on his way to the West Coast. And I think he was fortunate to survive that, that trip. But I do want to assure you that he does exist. He has lost most or all of that ability. He was uh, to my house last summer. And, uh, and he was having difficulty navigating. And it's, it to him is an absolute torment now because of the things that he was able to do. We keep in touch a lot because um, he has taught himself how to use NVDA and he's always had great technical abilities. And in fact, mm -hmm. before he left Allentown, he taught a small motor engine. Yep. Yeah. Uh, for the association for the blind uh, here in Allentown and so forth. But as hard as it is, another question um sure this must be doubly di terrible for him to have had this ability it's like becoming handicapped all over again to lose this echo location skill that he had do we think that something happened when he was blinded that increased that that sensibility way beyond what most of the rest of us who've been blind from birth you know we most of us i for one you know have pretty good echo location but i'm telling you this is amazing. And there's a couple of other people that we hear about who you know, ride motorcycles down roads and bicycles down sides of mountains and stuff using only echolocation that I can only marvel at. But well, I, I'm sorry, I've lost my thread here, but can you go ahead? Well, something must have happened. But I'll give you one example of his tremendous I wish echolocation. Yeah, yeah. I. I <laughs> Although, and, and I'll remark about something else yeah. in, in, in just a second. But um, one day he was visiting uh, a friend and they were sitting in the living room. And Joe pointed toward one section of the wall. And he said, why is that section different? And uh, the fellow that he's with, uh, the fellow has recently died, but the fellow that he's with, he just started laughing. He said, Joe, you're the only person that ever noticed when I was doing the paneling of this room, I ran out of the paneling and I went to get it. I think back then it was Rickles or whatever it was. And they had run out of that particular lot of, of wood and he had to wait until it came back in and it came back in. And to him, it looked different. Uh, it looked the same. And he, he felt it was the same, the, the coloring and everything else matched. And he finished the room with that in this one corner. And Joe said, but I hear the difference. And the guy said, well, people have been looking at that for <laughs> years, and I'm the only one that knows that that was a different lot. But Joe could tell that. That's pretty amazing. Wow. And the other thing that I wanted to say is then – Maybe about a year and a half ago, Joe was sitting with Burganti working on this book, and he, and he said, what do you think of the idea of the book? And I said, Joe, I don't, I don't think much of the idea. I said, because the most resistance you're going to get in this book is not from sighted people. 
because sighted people don't know anything about blindness. But from all of us who, who have learned our own techniques and are independent, this sounds like, uh, as, as someone said, um, Superman with a cape on. And it, it, it's true. It is so unusual. But most of all, I, I was concerned people wouldn't believe and would, and would ridicule him. But I swear to you, I don't know how he did it, but he was doing these things. And I could never understand the driving angle. And yeah, so, t- so, Tony, I have a question for you that might be able to, to clear up another of our mysteries. The Lou Briganti who wrote the book, do you know if he was a talking book narrator for a while? No, that, that I don't know. And, of course, all that nonsense about the kid and, and so forth, none of that is true. That was a device that Briganti right. chose to use. Joe actually wanted to just tell his story as it was, but Briganti decided, uh, no, this would be the best vehicle by introducing this fictional character and, and, and so forth. You know, it's a, a device, a device. I Yep. I don't particularly but, like it, but, 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 but I, I think I, that the yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Paul. No, go, Judy. No, go ahead. Go. You. No. You. Um, Cindy, do we have hands? I just want to. I don't <laughs> want to cut anybody. Else. You guys are so funny. Uh, yeah, you have three hands. <laughs> okay, we have three. Let, so yeah. in just a minute, um, uh, I felt this device definitely did not work. First of all, the kid is not that interesting. There's do, too much golly gee whiz, and um, I never thought of that. Now I went out and applied for a job. I I totally wish that uh, we had just had yet another, even if, though it would have been a an amazing blind man story. I think this device absolutely was a bad idea. Now Paul pick Paul recommended this book because it's a device that's never been used before, but I. You know, let's put it this way. Whoever does it again needs to design a better second string fiddler. Tony, is there anything else you'd like to add before we let you go? Well, uh, Joe has given me a file to work on because what he would like to do is talk a lot about echolocation. And uh, I've been going through it and he'd like me to help him edit it. I don't know how far we'll get. But the one thing that he's concerned about, and the more I, th- I think about it, I also think it's the case that um, the orientation and mobility instructors that we've all had, for the most part, have been cited. Yep. And uh, only out in California, I think. Um, and Louisiana. Have any O&M instructors been excited about and taught echolocation. And I, I often wonder that if I had started when I was back at, back at Overbrook, um, learning about echolocation. And I think all of us have had the experience. There was one or two blind guys around who were kind of odd and they would go when they were walking. Uh, has anyone else experienced? Sure. Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to just say, I'm going to interrupt you to say, I was involved with a with a research project through Stanford Research uh, International about when I was it helped pay my way through college, where they were studying echolocation of seals and blind people, literally on the same campus, and we learned to distinguish literally shapes. At one time, ninety percent of the time, I could tell you whether something was a square or a circle or a triangle. Uh, an object about six inches and it was like five feet away from me using, you know, the clicking echolocation. So, uh, but I agree if we'd all been taught and you know, who was best at this echolocation, a native American woman who was cited, who was one of our, she was, they, they hired her as somebody to run the experiment. Then they accidentally found out one day that she was a better research subject than any of the blind people who had been blind since birth who had the best echolocation of all. Anyway, that's just a side note about uh, the study of, of echolocation. But no one ever thought, I mean, I never thought at the time, boy, I should go home. I mean, I, I use it sometimes to find cars and stuff, but 
I never thought about incorporating it into my own mobility skills, and I wish I had. Two real quick things, uh, sir, and then I'll yep uh, give the, up the microphone. The the first is that Joe could pick up things, small things on the sidewalk, or and and I always wondered why he didn't use a cane. Well, of course now he is using a cane, but he said he could just hear all of that, um, hear little drop offs and. And uh, uh, come across uh, heaving sidewalks and know that they were there. And the last thing I want to say is, <laughs> I really feel like I need to apologize to to Chris um, because I've never brought it up in in PCB in all of our conversations because I just really felt that people wouldn't believe it. So. Tony, anyway, Tony, thank you. If you if you wouldn't would you mind Cindy Tony would you mind staying on in case can you stay on a little bit can we move Tony to the panelist side Cindy and then we can answer other questions and if are you good with that Tony Tony is that sure is that sure. okay Tony oh, okay. Love, and that makes it easier then we don't okay. have to lose you and get you back all right he's been shot up over to the panelist side and now you'll uh, have to unmute yourself i guess but cindy let's go for one of the other people who's been patiently waiting here don horn this should be interesting hey don hi we how are you we know um, that hello what a great reader don is and well one i have to tell you i almost here. did not attend this discussion because the book infuriated me it <laughs> made me so angry i could barely finish it Don, it's a little hard to hear you. It's a little hard to hear you, Don. Why is this? That's much better. Okay. Um, Oh, God. Let me. Okay. There. Much better. Okay. I think I shut the speech. Oh, damn it. Okay. Um, Trying this. Stay right there. You're good. Yeah, Stay right there. We can hear you better. Yeah, but it keeps chattering. Uh, let me turn the speech off. Okay. I turned the speech off. me long enough. I'm sorry. The book infuriated me um, beyond belief. And I actually, when I started reading it, was going to recommend You're disappearing again, Don. Huh? You're getting further away from the mic or something? You're getting harder to hear? Okay, well, this one. There, yes. Yep. That's better, okay. but so keep um, talking. We'll do our best. I recommend a client who is exhibiting very kind of behavior. And then when I read the outcome, I thought, well, I can't do that. Um, but one of the things that occurred to me is I really wonder if the cause of the blindness or, or the – I wondered if – if there was a diagnosis today with the vision problems or the blindness that he's experiencing might actually be neurological and might not have to do with vision. That was something that, that crossed me. Certainly, I didn't have as much trouble with the echolocation piece as I did with the driving, which I really, I don't understand it, but maybe what I'm thinking is maybe if they were a neurological component, that might explain that. Um, I thought the device for the, for the, with the kid and everything was, was ridiculous. And I thought it was, not only did I think it was ridiculous, I thought it supported the idea that, oh, these super blind people that can help us all solve our problems. So I was very offended by that part of it. Um, even though the author was clear about this is nonfiction and this is fiction, but those are just some things. I thought it was unfortunate that, that the book was even out and I really struggled to finish it. And then today I was going to skip this. And then I said, well, you push yourself to read the whole damn thing. So, there go. so those are just some thoughts. We're glad you came, Don. Your thoughts are always well worth listening to, Don. Okay. All right, Miss Cindy. Yeah, we got anybody else? You do. You have Donna. I can't even pronounce this last name though. Oh, great! I'm Donna Slavosky from Brooklyn, New York, and I want to thank Tony for just telling us about the real Joe Corey. Uh, because uh, all of this that I was listening to before that, I. I I had downloaded the book immediately. I, I, I remembered the number, fortunately. And so when I put the number into my screen, it, it, it came down right away. 
and uh, I, I wouldn't have probably wouldn't have read it based on what I heard prior to that. So I'm, I'm grateful to Tony for telling us about the real Joe. And I just wanted to mention the idea of Bill Wallace reading it. I just happened to finish a book uh, that was narrated by Bill Wallace. It was called I Can't um, I Can't See You, I'm Deaf, I think was the name of it. And, and I got it from the Bard book review list, uh, which uh, Don Horn is one of the moderators. And um, um, Bill has such a cheerful voice that I any book that he reads, he's going to make the person, if it's written in the first place, the first person, as this book was, um, I, I can't hear you, I'm, I'm, I can't see you, whatever the heck it was. Um, uh, he made the guy sound really, really cheerful. I don't know if the guy really was that way. He was certainly a daredevil. Um, and I was just... Uh, I wanted to know from Tony about Joe's personality. As you said, he probably went through some emotional upheaval um, when he first went blind. What is his personality like? Is is he a cheerful person? Because I think that Bob, uh, Bill will make him sound that way no matter what. Well, Thank you for your question. Tony? He, he is. Um, I don't think he is as ebullient as he used to be. Because, you know, life is, is tougher for him now. Um, How old would he be now, Tony? Now, I think he is 87. Yeah. 86, I believe he was 87. 19 in 1954. Uh, I mean, I think that's what he was blinded in. It was 1954, maybe. Does that sound about right, Tony? It might be. So that would make him born in about 1935. Mm-hmm. Right, would right. Make him eighty-five. Yeah, and he's married. Uh, his wife. He's still married to the same woman. Jackie. Yes. Yes. Oh. Yes. Mm-hmm. They must have been married for a long time because I guess he met her in California. Yes. Yeah. No. No. Uh, if I'm trying to remember if that's what was said in the book. No, he he met her here in the Lehigh Valley. Uh, yeah, you're was, you're you're correct. They, they were at a dance together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're you're correct. And and right. and he recognized her by her perfume. We may malign Joe's attitude toward women, but I've got to say, as a feminist, there were some things that bothered me about that that we may come back. <laughs> there, there, so there were. We are ready, Cindy. Phone number ending in zero nine seven three. Mister Smitherman again. First of all, I wanted to thank Tony for his comments uh, about Joe. And, um, uh, you know, the first part of the book uh, about the young man, that could have been uh, left out. The the guy was right about that. Because even if everything is true that's written in this book, uh, the part about the uh, fictional young man character, that leads you to believe that, well, maybe some other little parts in here may be fictional as well. So that could have been left out. Yep, I think you're right, Ralph. Yep, thank you, sir. Miss Cindy? Yep. We have another phone number ending in 4640. Good afternoon. Betty Passanati. Hi, Betty. Hi, good to see you. Who who is speaking, please? Who is speaking? My name is Betty Passanati from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Right? Betty and I are old friends. (laughs) Go ahead, Betty. Yes, I'm I new friends with her there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, unfortunately, I have to read, I did not get a chance to read the book, and I was told about it too. I did not get a chance to read it. But I, a couple. I first of all, it's incredible that we actually have someone who knows the author among us. That's uh, that's fantastically amazing. It has a great dimension to it. And I think the lady who's kind of upset about the book. Again, I haven't read it, but the, it is a nonfiction novel, and the gentleman's an author, and the gentleman is going to mix reality with a bit of imagination. And, I mean, it's not an historical book. It's nonfiction, but I think maybe if he takes some liberties, why not? Uh, maybe things he would like to have been able to do, things he did better than, or maybe he thought he did. Sometimes, you know, people who do these incredible things think they're doing great, but somebody looking at them says, so you've got to be kidding. You're going to get killed. You know, so it's how you see how you see what you can do and what you want, what you want it to be. That all enters into the book. 
And I just, I just wanted to ask, you know, it all enters into the, to a gentleman's writing and creativity. I mean, he's an author. It's a, it's a novel. He's, he's an author. It's not yeah, a, but he's not necessarily, you know, I'm professor of English, and, you know, I, I think part of discussing a book is, in fact, to discuss what, you know, what the author has done. Sure, absolutely. I, I do agree. I, I do agree with that. I'm just adding a little question. My my real question, adding a comment. My real question is to Paul. You say he's lost some of that ability. Is that because of age or a, a loss of vision or illness or how is it that some of this ability is not what it used to be? No, I think I I think that's what Tony said to us, who has who has seen yes. who saw him last summer, um, Betty. So. Uh, so you know, I think we can. I I think we can take that as certain, but that doesn't mean he's he's incapable. It would just be very frustrating for him because he was so good at what he did before. Yes. Yeah. So, but Betty, we appreciate your we appreciate your question. I guess the comment that I'd make to you is this book was listed as nonfiction, and and I think that that creates some obligations on the author in terms of the way that he handles stuff. If it were, I, I mean, there's no such thing really as a nonfiction novel. Um, and, and, and so I think as long as we're talking about nonfiction, I think there are some obligations that we as readers need to expect. So, so I think, I think we have the right to question some of the things that he did. Um, and, and, and and so that's why we're doing it. Anyway, Cindy. Melissa. Oh, okay. Um, actually, I joined in a little late, so I'm a little lost here. Um, what book are we talking about exactly? Who's the author? We're, we're talking about a book called Flying Blind, and the book is written by, and I'll spell it right this time, Lou <laughs> Briganti, B-R-I-G-A-N-T-I, and it's available on Bard. And Judy can give you the number. The number, I'm opening my Braille file again, is 97425. So that's the book we're talking about. And we we advertised it a little bit, but not well, before the convention, because we like people to have read the book um, before we start, start. But it's a memoir about a blind person from Pennsylvania uh, who moved to California for a while and then moved back to Pennsylvania. Um, and he did some pretty amazing things and was a pretty amazing guy. Um, oh, I see. Okay. And we do this, we do this uh, one book, one ACB, as often as we can. We don't necessarily do it every year, but we, we, you know, we, it was on the registration information. But we always invite people, even if you haven't read it, if you have a question or a comment, that's absolutely fine. And we hope you'll go back and read it after our our discussion of it. And, and, I will. And, I will. And, it really and, and then send us um and then send us a message uh, and tell us what you think. You can either send it to Judy or to me, um, and oh. we'll and we'll pass it on to other members. So, thanks oh. for your question. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate huh? it. You're welcome. Who's next, Miss Cindy? If we have any more, Agnes, oh, Agnes Colorado. Yes. I did not read the book. I didn't get a chance to, but I will because all these comments make me want to see see for myself, too, you know, what it's all about. Um, but you asked a question earlier if I if I if we thought we could be role models for sighted people and or um, console sighted people, and I I think we can. I have seven nieces and nephews in my family, and. Over the years, it's been said to me that their parents, in in their own ways, have used me as a role model um, for them, uh, especially when they were trying, especially when, um, and some of my cousins said the same thing, especially when their kids got out of high school and they were trying to get them to get out of the house, you know, and they would say, well, you can't, they say, oh, mom, you know, we can't do this. And then they tell them, they remind them, you know, that I did because, um, when I was in my 20s, I left my home state and I went to Tallahassee where I worked on my undergraduate degree in rehabilitation for the adult blind where I knew nobody. And, you know, so they've often used me as a role model in that regard. I think that's a really good point, Agnes. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, and in fact, I think when Cindy and Paul both mentioned that they were clearly role model for their own children, um, I think there's no doubt about that. 
I think what we were discussing was how he used that device, you know, in this uh, memoir. For sure. And somebody is back. I think Chris would like to uh, maybe... Oh, Chris, oh, that's, welcome that's again. Good. Something. Miss so, Hunsinger, come Chris, back. Chris, I'm wondering if maybe Joe's blindness... You know, you talked about neurological, but I would suspect that when you get right down to it, perhaps it was psychological, something that happened to him while he was in the Air Force. Yeah. So he was seeing things that he wasn't recognizing that he was seeing and doing things that some of the time other people might think that they that he was he even thought he was blind. Yeah, I think I think any of those things are possible, but he seemed to come up with a pretty plausible disease and and it and and maybe we'll ask Tony in a minute, but I think but I think his blindness actually got worse as time went on. So, you know, usually in the case of uh, of hysterical blindness or neurological blindness, it, it goes to the level that you want it to be at and it stays there. Um, Tony, do you recall that, that Joe's vision got worse as time went on? Yes. Um, I'm trying to think of the best way to answer this uh, question for Chris. Um, Joe was always trying things like really bright lights. And there was a point that he could read one letter at a time. And he was always experimenting to see what, and when I talk about remaining vision, it, it was next to none, but he was always fooling with, with uh, uh, flashlights and magnifiers and so forth. So I remember when I was young and we, we talk about Joe, I always wondered whether it was hysterical blindness. Do you know what I mean? Yep. yep. Um, but it wasn't that because of all the, monkeying around that that he was doing there were things he really couldn't do with his vision yeah right 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 and, and if you held something up and asked him what it was you know he couldn't tell you you have three fingers up um yeah. but but some of the other stuff that he could do it, it just to me always defied explanation and mm-hmm. to be honest with you i was a little embarrassed about talking about it with a lot of people because it just seemed so very odd and it was just so unique to him. Yeah. We really appreciate you your talking to us. Yeah. <laughs> you notice though, the market they're pitching this to the subtitle of the book, one man's journey out of darkness. It's always, you know, going from the dark. And, and even though he, I wonder what he thinks of that. Um, shall we say, Subtitle. Not a little bit stereotypical subtitle and pitching it, obviously, to sighted people who are terrified of blindness and terrified of darkness. And so forth. The worst yeah. of it, the, the worst of it is if, if, if you put it the other way, it would be even worse. One man's journey into darkness. <laughs> you know, my reaction to the book is that it's a, it, it, it's a creepy book. And yeah. I, it's a creepy so book because of, that. of the way the author presented everything and it to me it diminishes joe's story yeah i'm so glad Uh, you said that tony that seems i think you put your finger right on it i mean one more heroic blind person i think we we're all proud of people who make it and write their own memoirs but this is why this book was so fascinating i think you absolutely hit it that he diminished joe by the stuff he tried to do the author that's excellent all right, phone Cindy. number ending in 6918. You should be able to talk. Oh. Yep, you're unmuted. Oh, don't do anything. If you're on a phone, you you come in unmuted. Uh, we're not hearing okay. you. There you are. There go. I'm there. here. Woo-hoo. All right, so this is Jeannie, and it really is me this time. My husband was on my computer earlier. But... Um, I've been on the call the whole time and thought I had my hand raised and I've been sitting here squirming in my chair going, call me, call me. Anyway, um, I'm going to go a little further, though, with the hysterical blindness. I want to tell you a quick story. I, I, I think hysterical blindness is very interesting. We had a student once. I used to be a rehab teacher, center-based. We had a student going through our TBE program who supposedly was totally blind, 
But they also did the TBE training there at our facility, and the doors to the classrooms had glass in them, and the teachers would walk by. (laughs) And anyway, this person evidently had the most beautiful handwriting, very thin, very straight lines. And somebody asked her about it one day, and she said, oh, well, I can feel it. Anyway, we basically concluded that she must be hysterically blind. There was no way on God's green earth she could feel it. But anyway, so I guess what I want to say here is I want I don't want to take the possibility of hysterical blindness out of the picture. I was going to add it way long before anybody else said anything. But anyway, um, because I think it's a possibility. I think people who were hysterically blind, weird as it may sound, and it may even be a subconscious thing, kind of use what's to their advantage visually and, I don't know, may not even be aware of it. Like, you know, she swore she wasn't seeing what she was writing or or, or how she was doing it, that she just did it. But, I, I mean, they said there was no way that she could have been doing it that well if she were really right. blind. Um, so I just don't want to take hysterically blind off the table. I, I kind of think that might have been and might be the case. And there are people who do that, and there are certain things that they do where even if you're blind, you're just gonna, kind of going, Wow, that person is totally blind and doing that. So that's my little contribution. Thank you very much. We we appreciate it. I it it, it I won't do it today, but uh, Judy, remind me sometime. I'll tell you about my hysterical blindness incident because it was um, okay was interesting. I will. Um, right. Thomas, you can unmute. Hi, Paul. Hi, Judy. This is Tom Bergenzer calling. Hey, How are Tom. you? Judy and I are friends from a long time ago at Ski for Light. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and and uh, other people and are still in the call. these days, Tom? Oh, we're, we're hot, hot oh. and humid, but not much yeah. rain this summer. <laughs> okay. Anyhow. Um, I'm interested. I want to react to um, the comments about echosensory perception and so forth. Um, some comments were made earlier that they wish people wish they had been taught that as part of mobility. Um, I was I self-taught myself when I was about four or five. I can't imagine anybody taught me at that point uh, because I practiced in my backyard and I picked up on, for example, a concrete porch that was in front of me. And that was the first time that I recall using it. But I use it all the time now, even to the point where if I'm going down the street, um, I can distinguish between a car versus a truck versus other kinds of objects or the size of trees. And um, I, I've actually met with a Ph.D. professor at, at Carnegie Mellon, and she studied my use of it and actually incorporated my, my clicking signs into um, programs that she developed, both for sighted and blind people. So um, I think it's something that, that a lot of people learn on their own. And, and um, I'm incredulous that he was able to use it while driving a car because – when I was younger, I used to ride a bike, and if I would walk around along that um, alley where I rode the bike and I passed telephone poles, I knew where they were. But if I was riding the bike, I had trouble picking them up because I was moving much more quickly, and, and I knew I was invariably going to clip them, not run into them so much, but clip them, and I just steeled my hands because I knew they were going to get banged up. <laughs> We appreciate it, Tom. Thank you. Um, I haven't seen you do that at Ski for Light, though, I got to say, Tom. <laughs> I lived in Jamaica from the time I was 13 and, and, and then in Trinidad until I was 30 or 31. So I had no orientation mobility training, but really developed a lot of use of echolocation because it was, it was by far um, the, the most available technique to me. I, I didn't have orientation mobility people to tell me what I was supposed to do. So um, I did what seemed natural to me, and echolocation was a part of that. All right. We had we, another. Oh, sorry. Go on. We had another fellow uh, who, who lived in, in Allentown, um, and he never used a cane. Yep. Um, and he 
again, was was uh, pretty amazing. And I, I said to him one day, Bud, you better, you know, it's just a matter of time. When you walk down a sidewalk, some kid's going to leave his toy wagon and you're going to go head first. And he said, oh, I'll hear it. And I, I, I wish I had that ability. And I give Tom credit that at four and five, he picked that up and it's, it's a lifetime habit now. I, mm-hmm. I, I really wish I had that ability to distinguish between the sizes of, of vehicles. But you that know, is a learned skill. Yes, it is. And I, you know, I, I want to just say that I think one of the places that I learned to use it as a child was at a school for the blind. And I'm wondering if kids have always been educated in, uh, you know, mainstream classes or, you know, in resource type situations, those of us of a vintage. Um, I would, you know, I know that playing games and skating and stuff at the school for the blind, we, we taught each other echolocation and did all that kind of stuff as, as you know, kids. Yep. Cindy. Yes. You have Vicki Vaughn. And Vicki, you can unmute yourself. Miss Vicki, welcome. There. Can you You're hear me there? now? Yep. We okay. can. can. Um, I'm speaking back to somebody who said you couldn't feel color. Now, I can't do it now, but when I lost my sight, I was totally sighted until nine, and when I lost my sight at nine, for three years, someone could hand me something and I could tell them exactly what it looked like. And I don't know why. I would just get the image in my mind. And somebody else I know, Sally Alexander, said the same thing when she lost her sight for a couple of years. She could, someone could hand it to her and she'd tell them exactly what it was. And I did this with my grandfather. what color it was? What color yes. it was? My grandfather wow. held out his, his arm and said, tell me about this shirt. I said, well, it's green and white. It's white, basically with green stripes, light green. Oh, oh, he actually fell out of his chair. Here he was, you know, a surgeon. He was very medically tra- he had, and knew darn well I couldn't see a thing because when they look at my optic nerves, they're totally white. And he, so he knew I couldn't see it, but he said I described it to a T. Well, that's a, that's amazing, <laughs> that's, and we th- we thank you for your input. That's- sure, you're welcome. <laughs> thank Bye-bye. you, Miss Cindy. Yes. Um. Uh, let's see. You have. Donna Slavosky. Good job. <laughs> well, I just wanted to mention the fact that um, I find that now that I'm required to wear a mask outside, my echo perception is definitely being hampered. Uh, it, I mean, I can still use it to a, to a large yeah. extent, but it's definitely affected. And frankly, I don't feel as safe. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I, 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 I'm affected in the same way. I really feel very uncomfortable walking by myself with a mask on. Um, but that doesn't have a darn thing to do with this book. But <laughs> Okay, and you have Don Horn is back. So Don, Don Horn, all right. You can unmute. Here we you got are. you, Don. Okay. Yep. Just one question. How do we know that the man referred to in the title isn't the young man? Um, I, I, I don't think we know for sure. Um, but I think it's a good point. But Do you have a case to make, Don? How is he flying blind, though? And how is he coming out of, well, he might, the, the kid could well, be one man's journey started. out of darkness. I mean, one man's journey toward enlightenment, sure. So I could buy that. but I, I think I, it not... could work either way. Well, maybe yeah. you're right, Don. But, but what about I... the flying blind? Yeah. What well, about it doesn't have horn? to mean blind either, does it? No, it doesn't. Well, what? Give us a thought. Well, I mean, when you think about it, he was he was very naive. He was not very self-aware. He was more self-aware at the end of the book. He had an enlightenment as a result of the experiences that he had. It was just something that as I read the book, because I was originally really offended by the title, and as I read it, I kept thinking, well, wait a minute, this could be either way. Who is this referring to? Actually, I, I, I don't think that's a bad point. And, you know, clearly, I mean, we could make the title say fleeing blindness or yeah, you know, flying blind, fleeing blindness, which 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 could certainly apply to the young man. 
or that he was flying blind as a kid who didn't know where he was going. Yes. Yeah. So that's an interesting thought, Don. Thank you, Don. All right. Uh, Somebody's back with the phone number 6918. That would be me. Hello. All right. It's Jeannie again. Okay. Go ahead, me. So, thank you, Paul. (laughs) I just wanted to add, I'm kind of like Tom, except that I don't remember ever learning or teaching myself echolocation or object perception. When I was younger, I did have an expert in the mobility field tell me that I had some of the best he had ever witnessed. Um, That was Butch Hill. If anybody knew him, he was awesome. But anyway, um, so for me, and for me, it's a hearing thing. It's like that space is taken up by something, but I can't hear something like, sorry, the phone's ringing. Can't hear something near the ground. Usually in order for me to hear it, it has to be at about shoulder level or higher. And I'm like Tom in that if I were going really fast, like riding a bike or something like that, it would be too fast for me to hear it. But one time I kind of made points on a date. This guy and I had eaten at a mall and we went outside to the sidewalk and somehow we got on the subject of this. And I said, oh, yeah, I can walk down the sidewalk and let you know each time we pass one of those poles that's holding up the, you know, the cover over the wall. Uh-huh. And I did. He was impressed and we dated for a while longer, but you know, that's <laughs> anyway. So there you go. But I, I don't remember ever even learning it. It was like I was born with it. It was just something I always had. So. Excellent. Thank you so much. We, we have 12 minutes or 11 minutes or so left. You have you one person left. The phone number, last four digits, 1760, 1760. And you should be unmuted. Oh, hi, uh, Cindy and everyone. This is Josette calling from Vancouver, B.C. Uh, Hey, Miss Josette. Miss Carmen, go ahead. Um, Yep. Yeah. Um, I have not read the book yet, but I certainly plan to do so. Um, This is a most fascinating conversation that's turned out to be really interesting. I wanted to make a few comments. First on on echolocation. Back in the 80s, uh, I was waiting at a bus stop here in Vancouver, and I heard someone who was, you know, making the clicking noise. And, you know, I know we've all done this, and, you know, I'm guilty of it, too. And uh, the person did mention that they were blind, and uh, I didn't really say anything to them about the clicking stuff, but I thought, God, that's strange. (laughs) because of obviously I didn't know anything about echolocation at the time. And then um, I read a book from NLS to do with that, and it really opened my eyes, pardon the pun. Um, and I realized afterwards that I have some of that ability myself. And, um, you know, I talked to a number of other blind people up here about it who didn't know about it either and educated them about it. Anyway, um, also, I find it difficult to get around with a mask on, too. That's Someone else echoed that. And um, I think it's very unfortunate that authors, you know, don't listen, or I don't know, don't listen to people who, whose story they're uh, telling, you know, because unfortunately you, we all know that you know, sighted people get a lot of strange ideas about blindness, and and that, you know, that to me didn't help, um, you know, that situation, you know, as far as telling the story. But I do look forward to reading it, um, and I think it's really one neat more that person with a race Tony is, yeah, uh, Tony so. is, or sorry, not Tony, um, the gentleman that's, that knows Joe is um, yep. here, That's and it, uh, that makes it even more special. Thank you very it, much. It does. You're very welcome. And my only question to you is: Do you have any chocolate? Oops! I just, I just needed her. Sorry. Hey, it's you're okay. Trying to be efficient here. Now, don't mess with me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you'll have to provide the chocolate. I guess so. Uh, I have some though from Hawaii. Um, ah, nice. Yeah. And Foxworth, you can unmute yourself. You are unmuted. Okay, guys. Um, yeah. Just a very quick observation. 
when I was growing up, no one had a cane. Really? We all wore shoes with leather soles on them. And those shoes gave us a ton of feedback with the noise they made on the ground. And then when I was a senior in high school, I got mobility training, learned to use a cane. I've also been a dog handler for 20 years. And honestly, I would not go out of my house today without a cane or a dog. But as a kid at the School for the Blind, I ran up and down the stairs. I never had a mishap. And all I have is light perception. And so I think (laughs) this is weird, but I really believe that because now all of our shoes have rubber soles on them, we've lost the ability to get the feedback we need. And um, if you ever wear shoes with leather soles, women especially with high heels in the future, think back on what I've just said and see if your echolocation doesn't improve. But, you know, you do make a really good point. I don't think I wasn't in blind schools a lot. I was in California and then in school in Vancouver, British Columbia for a while. (laughs) And we never had canes. We, We just got around without them. Well, so yeah, I, in those days, they didn't give us yeah. canes when we were kids, right? Well, I didn't nope. have a cane until I was at the orientation center as a junior in sure. high school. I, yeah. I, mean, I got, I got mine when bruised. I was 14. Yeah, yeah, I got bruised knees and stuff, I, but I walked to the bus stop, and uh, they made me carry a cane. They knew I should carry one, but nobody ever taught me how to use it. <laughs> so, Miss anyway, Judy, we have six minutes left. Well, I think it's time to do some housekeeping here. Um, first of all... Cindy, uh, yes. there is absolutely a box of nuts and chews coming your way. So <laughs> be on the lookout later. I and I, that's my way of saying everybody who knows me knows how much I love sees candy. And I love it, two too. Of the door prizes that we have are my two boxes, two one-pound boxes <laughs> of C's candy. And uh, poor Nancy has been run ragged, and we do not at this time have a list of registered Lua uh, participants, but I promise you we will draw names in a fair manner. Paul uh, is contributing some prizes. Brian Charlson is contributing some prizes, and we may uh, get some more, but just to know that the promised door prizes will be coming, and we will select names from the list. So if you haven't registered and were inspired by today, put uh, I should have said this at the end of Karen's presentation. Please register with the Minneapolis office before the week is over so that we have you on our Lua list. And uh, members or not, we will definitely reach out to people from that list to let you know what Lua is doing and what, what we're going to be doing in the future. And before we sign off about books, Paul, tell two things. What are upcoming um, Lua um, Books Without Walls is about and about your article in the August Forum. Well, Library Without Walls is, is about what my article in August is about, which is about the article in August is called Pick a Peck of Pandemic. And what I do is list 10 or 12 fiction and 10 or 12 nonfiction books that are about pandemics. Um, so, and that's also what our Library Without Walls call is about, which is coming up on the third Wednesday of July. That's and, the 15th? Yep. And each person who comes will be expected to have read two pandemic books, talk about them. And I always go last, and it'll be interesting to see whether whether there'll be any books left for me. Um, but it should be fun. Um, we should also mention that we have two more events coming up on Wednesday. Uh, the first of those events is going to be an opportunity for you to ask questions of Aaron Jones, the talking book narrator. And then the second section, which I'm very excited about, is a session that uh, Brian Charlson and myself and Judy Dixon are going to be doing. Uh, and we'll be exploring new features that are available in BARD and BARD Express. And I think there are some really neat features. During Karen's presentation, we talked about some of them. But there are more. There are more. We have three minutes, Miss Judy. Final thoughts. 
And I want to make sure I'm able to get the CEU code in as well as um, just... Why don't you go ahead and give that now? And if rem- there's any final raised hands, we'll... There's no raised hands. Okay. But- I think we won't take any more then. Okay. But do give that CEU. Sure. And it, also, Paul, if any of those upcoming events you want to be included in the community events um, schedule, please just send me the information. I'd love to share it. Okay. I, I, I will send I will send you Library Without Walls before this week is over. Beautiful. That would be great. You, you know me, I always do. Okay, so here's the the end CEU code for those that signed up for continuing education credits. It is the number eight season chocolate, because you know somebody made me think of that. Zero six one. Again, that's eight season chocolate zero six one. Zero six one. There mm-hmm. we go. That's so, Cindy, do you um, think someone could resend me the panel code for Lua? I'm assuming it'll be the same Wednesday, but it has truly disappeared from my mail. I, I will ask. I will send Deb an email uh, or yeah, text. I don't have Deb do in my list. If you I don't think we Deb, have, I would be grateful. I don't think we have codes for Wednesday yet, so don't worry about it. Well, but it might be no, the same. So the webinar to get in. Yeah. Yes, that's what she's talking about is her webinar. Uh, yeah, but I don't think I don't I don't think I have codes webinar? for Wednesday. Mine mine is just on mine was just for today. I think. Okay. So I think she has other codes that she'll probably send out. But I'm anyway, we can check. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just let her know. I will that make I yeah. Well, Rick's you. on here too. He could also make mentions. I, I, I can do that. I can walk in the other room and do it. You know, yeah. Why don't you just thank make sure you, that Rick. the I didn't Lua people you were there, didn't know? Rick. Sorry. Yeah. Cindy, thank I'm, you again for doing such an amazing job. Oh, of you're being welcome. Our Zoom operator. My pleasure. It's just an every, amazing convention. Every, Yay. <laughs> and we haven't done it yet. So thank you so much, Tony, for making this much. Oh, it was really very interesting. Thank you, Tony. I really, I wasn't fascinated about the book until you started telling us about Joe. Oh, yeah. Thank you. And give our regards to Joe, Tony. I I will do that. I will do that. He'll want some feedback on this, and uh, uh, I'll make sure to let him know. Excellent. Goodbye, everyone. Makes a distinction, Tony, that. We are amazed at what what he has done, uh, even if we said critical things about the book. Sure, sure. <laughs> All right. I'm going to end the Thank meeting you, then. Everyone. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Paul.